Hey, from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerd, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. And I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And we, we're very excited. We have a guest with us in the studio this week. Well, not in the studio. We're recording this remotely. I don't know why I said in the studio. I'm dumb. But we do <laughs> have world, a guest. The world is our studio, Jen, wherever the we are. The <laughs> world is our studio, Darren. And we do have a guest. We have one of the uh, co-hosts of the Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast, Miss uh, Stand-Up Comic, Kevin Israel. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks Kevin, for being how are you here. doing? Yeah, I'm very I'm good. I'm good. I'm ex- I'm excited for this one. Yeah, uh, because this week we're we're covering a big favorite movie of yours. Is it your all time favorite movie? Yes. 100%. Okay, we're we're covering 1984's Ghostbusters, starring Bill Murray with Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson and uh, Sigourney Weaver and Annie Potts and Rick Moranis and yeah, you know the deal. It's Ghostbusters. John, name the entire cast right now. <laughs> keep, keep going. Go. Uh, William Atherton was the EPA guy. Um, and uh, Annie Potts. What was the name of the what was the name of the hotel manager? The guy that, uh, that hired them. <laughs> he's he's the like he's one of those characters actor actors. He's one of those classic character actors. He's a hey that's guy. It's that yeah. guy. <laughs> Do you know right. his name offhand, Kevin? I don't. I don't. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, guys, we're doing it. Ghostbusters, the classic film written by Dan Ackward and the late great Harold Ramis, directed by the great Ivan Reitman, came out June 8th, 1984, had a budget of 25 to 30 mil, ended up grossing $295 million, ended up being one of the highest grossing comedies of the 80s. And the second highest grossing movie of 1984 got beat out by um, another SNL alum, Eddie Murphy, with uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, I was forgetting that Beverly Hills Cop was the same year because I was you, you were saying it was the second highest grossing. I was like, what could have possibly beat Ghostbusters? But yeah, yeah, Beverly I looked Hills at. Cop, I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, like I looked at the 1984. It had some hits come out in that year. Like, um, so number one, second. So as far as the highest grossing films of 1984. Number one, Beverly Hills Cop. Number two, Ghostbusters. Number three, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Wow. Number four, Gremlins. Number five, Karate Kid. Number six, number six, Police Academy. Number seven, Footloose. Number eight, Romancing the Stone. Number nine, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. And number ten, Splash. I mean, this year had some. What a hits. year of movies! That, that is a killer year of movies, man. Yes. Wow, nineteen eighty four. I mean, that that was that was the shit. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> this was fantastic. Like I saw, like this movie came out in June eighth of eighty four. Karate came out, Karate Kid came out later that same month. It came out like June twenty second or something. Nice. And like, you want to know when I saw the movie? When, when did you see the movie? June eighth, nineteen eighty four. Nice. Wow. How old were you, Kevin? I was eight. Okay, I w- I was twelve when this movie came out. Darren, how I'm, about you? Uh, 84, so I was seven. Now, yeah, wait, yeah. Actually, actually, June 8th, that's before my birthday, so I would have been 11 when this came out, so I would have seen this before I was 12, so. Okay. But, uh, yeah, Kevin, so wait, so your did your parents take you? Did you know you wanted to see it? Was this, like, uh, how did you You know, I don't, so my oldest sister, I have three older sisters, and they're all considerably older than me, 10 to 12 years older than me, oh. and my oldest sister, who I had you know, not a lot of relationship with when I was eight. Sure. She took me to see it. And I have no idea how that, I have to ask her sometime how that came about. 
But I remember thinking like it was like my big because she was in high school and I was, you know, in third grade or whatever. And I remember thinking this is like a big like my big sister is taking me to see this movie. And I must have wanted to see it, I assume. And uh, I was terrified the whole movie. <laughs> mm, <laughs> but yeah. I didn't want to I didn't want to give away because I didn't want my sister to think that I was scared. And it wasn't until I saw it probably four years later that I realized, oh, this is a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with this movie. It's like it rides that line between comedy and straight up sci-fi action, almost horror kind of movie. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I met, like there were scenes like um, when uh, Dana Barrett gets possessed and those arms come out of the chair and hold her down and drag mm-hmm. her into the... That's, that's genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a scary moment. Like, Kevin, I wonder if like it might have been as simple as your sister wanted to see the movie and she was stuck with you for the day. So you got to tag along. You know, I don't think my sister's not a movie buff and she never was. Uh I must've wanted to see the movie. And my parents said, just take him to see this, take him to see it. And Uh it's not, you know, eight years old in 1984, the movie was a little beyond me, obviously. And I mean, obviously I didn't even get that. It was a, that it was a comedy, but I mean, it really did. Like all the scene, the the scene where in the in the library where the ghost goes from a librarian to you know a monster, I, that scared the crap out of me. I mean, I, I remember wanting to leave at that point. And you're what five minutes into the movie, it scared the crap out of me. And I remember wanting to leave the theater, but I didn't want to look like a baby in front of my sister, so I just, just kind of shut up and and dealt with it. Okay. Wow. That's uh man up. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting like I mean it's it's kind of hardcore for a PG movie because it's 1984 so it's right before they introduced the whole PG-13 thing. I think that they started with the PG-13 rating because uh Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was kind of gory. Right. But but they realized that you know R is going to cut off half a potential audience so let's introduce another rating and uh, I forget what the first PG thirteen movie was? I want to say Gremlins, but I, might I think be wrong it, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. I'd have yeah, to like that. Okay. Yeah, like now you think about it. Oh yeah, in Temple of Doom, uh, a man did pull a beating heart out of the chest of a of a man of another man. That's yeah, he did. Yeah, I don't know if that's for kids. Yeah, <laughs> not for really young kids, certainly. Oh, so so I did a quick Google's check. Because uh-huh. I don't want to take credit for this. So Indiana Jones was the last PG movie of that ilk. And uh-huh. parents were so upset about the the the, the, the heart extraction that when uh, Red Dawn came out, they made it PG-13. Red Dawn? And the Red Dawn was the first PG-13. Wow. Yeah. Wolverines! Yeah. Uh, nice. Wow. Nice. All right. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, well, before we start, you know, talking about Ghostbusters and getting all into the guts of it, um, you know, like like we ask all our guests here at SNL Nerds, uh, Mr. Kevin, like, what's your history with uh, the show Saturday Night Live? Are you a casual fan? Are you a diehard fan? Do you dip in and out? Do you have favorite cast members, favorite sketches? Tell us, good sir, your SNL origin story. I would say I'm somewhere between a casual fan and a rabid fan. I don't know where you want to put Ooh. that on your meter. Mm. Um, I definitely have dipped in and out over the years. You know, I, I think I, I, I was more actively following during kind of the Adam Sandler years. Mm-hmm. And, and then I faded out for a while and I've, I've 
the past couple of years, I've been more actively watching it, especially since they started putting up all the skits on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm 45 and I am unable to stay up to watch <laughs> Saturday Night Live. I usually make it, I try to make it usually to the weekend update and I rarely do. So lately I've just wake up in the morning and watch, and it's the best way to watch it because it cuts through all the commercials and all the, I don't want to, I don't typically want to watch the musical guest, so I don't watch that. Yeah. Um, my, 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 if I'm going to watch two things, I'm going to watch the cold open and the weekend update. And that's, and then I'll, you know, I'll maybe watch some of the, uh, some of the actual, uh, skits, but, uh, yeah, I've always, you know, I've, I mean, as once you get into comedy and you start knowing some of these people and, and knowing, you know, tangentially knowing people who are actually getting onto the show, it sort of becomes a little more closer to you than mm-hmm. just the just the average watcher. So I, I, I definitely feel a very distant um, connection to connect to the show. Okay. But when you were into it, it sounds like you were like Adam Sandler was your guy. He was one of your faves. I don't know if he was one of my faves, but that's just when I remember, you know, watching the, you know, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler time and and being more 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 aware of it and then i didn't watch for a a, for for probably a while i think you know you you always hear about it when especially through politics because when you know when they're when they're really going hard on you know whatever political story is in the news at the time you 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 know you always end up catching it and obviously the uh the trump years were uh i mean i think nothing it made lauren michaels more happier more happy than when trump would say something because then he he had a whole episode written Oh yeah, that was. I mean, that's. I mean, we've talked about the Trump years on this podcast, but it seems like it. It it seems like because he, you know, Trump would say something insane every every week, almost. So like, like SNL twenty minutes, every twenty minutes, yeah. So it seemed like SNL was like, all right, now we got to talk about this. Now we got to talk about what he said. Now it's it it it, it almost like by the end of it, we we kind. I mean, me and John, we kind of got fatigued from it. We're just like, I I really can't do another sketch about the the latest insane thing he said it's it's too much yeah, yeah. okay yeah. but i mean so when you yeah, first got in, yeah it was but so when you were first into snl what was it that at that kit that had you coming back for more was it a certain sketch or a certain cast member or anything like that you know i think my two favorite sketches of all time and they're and i don't i don't know that this this doesn't follow follow anybody's you know, typical opinions where they're going to say, oh, you know, I love Pat or the, you know, celebrity. <laughs> Jeopardy. Um, my two favorite skits were, and my wife and I watch these all the time. My favorite skit of all time is your future second wife. Ooh. Oh, we love I, that one. I, and it, I've, I've must, I've watched it at least 50 times and it never stops being funny to me. There's, they're just brilliant in that. Everybody, everybody in that entire sketch is brilliant. Yeah, and it's and it's such a great concept, and I'm so glad they never did another one because I think it would have ruined it. But it's such a great sketch, and it just shows how strong Polar and and Faye were. Yeah, that they're just it's just such a monster, and it's a simple idea, and it's just really funny. Um, and then my second one, and I I can't remember the the, the title of it. But it was uh, it was with Justin Timberlake, and it was when they were all immigrants coming over. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah, and he and he talks about what his descendant is going to do. Yeah, and yes. it's and, and he really, really kind of takes the piss on himself. Yeah, and it I just thought, and then and then Andy Samberg shows up, 
And he, you know, he says, oh, maybe my, my, you know, maybe my kid could also be Fanny, my, my future ancestor. And, and, and Justin Timberlake goes, you know what, Jew? And Amber goes, there it is. <laughs> I'd forgotten the ending for that one. <laughs> and that, oh, I, that's another one that I, that I consistently go back to. Um, and more recently, they've had a couple of, uh, a couple of sketches in the se- kind of the same vein where they're, it's a news report and they're going to a, um, a, a scene of a, a natural disaster and the, the name change office was affected. And, oh, yes. yeah. and it's all the stupid names and it's the most juvenile concept for, uh, for a whole sketch, but it's hysterical and it never, I think they've done it at least three times. Mm-hmm. And it, and the the uh, the cast members usually end up breaking character because they're all laughing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, right? That, uh, yeah, they did that concept like uh, what the Chris Rock episode uh, when uh, Rachel Brosnahan hosted. Yeah. What? yeah, it's just like a lot of you know sophomoric names like you know Huge Ass and right Dick Hurts and Edith I, re- Puffy. I remember Ego being like Edith Puffy. Yes. 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 One, so. <laughs> It's childish, but it it still works. Yeah, it's, it that's works, level I'm it. working at. <laughs> <laughs> it's still real to me, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so and and so okay, so you saw Ghostbusters when you're eight. When did the the Ghostbusters super fandom get really really started for you? You know when the when the real Ghostbusters the cartoon hit, I ah. think is. I mean, I had the toys. I watched the cartoon. I th- I still would argue that that was probably one of the best cartoons of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, because they they actually, I mean, some of them were did have pretty creepy, if not scary, kind of tones to them, and they, I just, I thought, and it, you know, it didn't follow the movie beat for beat. You know, the characters all looked different, and right, the, the, the overall, the, the, their behaviors were the same. But um, I just, I loved that cartoon, and I watched it religiously. And then, like I said, I got the toys, and and then I probably went back to the movie when I was a little bit older, probably around you know eleven or twelve, and that's when I re- I got that oh this is a comedy, and then you know I think in, I think probably in college is when you know when we you know you you'd sit down and you'd you'd pick what movies you want to watch or if you know had a movie night or something, and I would always pick Ghostbusters, and my friends would be like we can't watch this again, <laughs> and I'd be like but we can. We can and we will <laughs> sit down. Yeah. And then you just flex the bicep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and everyone fell in line. Kevin is very muscular, you guys. Yeah. Oh, he's 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 a beefcake. No, he works out. I am. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I would argue if I could, but uh, I'm a tall drink of water. <laughs> so uh yeah, and then you know, it's you know, once I got once I I graduated college and I moved out on my own and I got my own apartment, I remember I had I put up a Ghostbusters poster in my room, which was like I was like regressing a little bit. <laughs> but and then I you know I got the I got the 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 two C the two DVD set when uh, you know I I think it was might have been the anniversary edition or and yeah I I've just I've just always loved the movie. For me, it's just a perfect mix of it, and I think it's one of the only movies that does it so well as a mix. As Darren was saying, you know, horror and sci-fi and comedy almost seamlessly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it it really blends those uh, those two tones together, uh, just just beautifully. And I, I I think that comes partly from Dan Aykroyd's 
enthusiasm and knowledge of like genuine supernatural lore. And also, you know, he's got a great comedy mind and Harold Ramis has a great comedy. Oh, mind. Yeah. Ivan Reitman's a great comedy director and Bill Murray's one of the all time great comedy actors. So, I mean, it's just such a great, it's just a recipe for greatness, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal. It's this movie. I mean, God, uh, listeners, you're, you're going to hear just three grown men just gush over this movie <laughs> for the next hour and a half plus. So just, just deal with it. Yeah, and, and we talked a li- about it a little uh, beforehand, and we're not going to do, we're not going to get as deep into the plot as we usually do. We're not going to go through it point by point. This is just going to be more of a freewheeling discussion about the movie because we've all seen it. We all know it. We figure most everyone listening to this has seen it and knows it as well as as we do. So right. I mean, if you haven't seen it, here's a quick uh, elevator pitch. Uh, we're off IMDb. Uh, three para. Three parapsychologists forced out of the university funding set up shop as a unique ghost removal system in New York City, attracting frightened yet skeptical customers. That's basically what the movie's about. Yep. Boy, does that dumb it down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we we know our audience. (laughs) I'm joking, guys. We we love you all. You're you're, you're fantastic. For me, one of the reasons the movie is so so great is because, you know, you watch a lot of horror movies or sci-fi movies now and there's there's no humor in them whatsoever there's no and i think the reality is that if you took four guys five guys and put them into like a horrifying situation one of them would be cracking jokes because that's just a natural way to deal with a stressful situation Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of movies just overlook that because they want to build up so much tension or they want to make it so dark and gritty and there's so much emphasis on the real the making the tone of the movie one specific angle that they forget about natural human behavior like i feel like if you look yeah. at the way all all four of them react to things you know egon is obviously you know very scientific very analytical ray is just excited ray is so enthusiastic about the whole concept of it and vankman is kind of the sarcastic skeptic that's going mm-hmm. along just because it's it suits his needs at the time and he's willing to throw he's he's the comedic entity in the movie he's yeah. the one that's it's kind of aware of the things he's saying and he's actually trying to be funny all the other funny lines just come along because it fits the situation peter vankman is being funny because that's who he is that's true that's true and and then you have winston as the layman who's sort of the audience surrogate exactly who whenever we need to explain something like you know oh this is how the traps work which the the, the climax of the movie is kind of dependent on you knowing at least the basics of that Right. Uh, so, you know, so he's an easy person to explain stuff to. So, yeah, all the characters have a function in that uh, comedic uh, trio or or quartet, as it is yeah. by the end of the movie. Yeah. And a, a great point about Winston is so Ed, everybody knows that Eddie Murphy was originally supposed to be Winston. Right. And I think the movie might have not been as good had that happened. I mean, I would love to have seen it, but I think it would have been too much comedy. You know, I I just rewatched to prepare for this. I just rewatched the uh, episode of Ghostbusters on the movies that made us. Oh, I just watched that too. Oh shit! Yeah, and Ackroyd says that it was originally going to be, uh, it was still going to be just a trio. I think they were would have eliminated one of the other characters. I think it was going to be Belushi, Ackroyd, and and Eddie Murphy. Right. I mean, we actually mentioned that on our Belushi episode when we talk about the doc where mm-hmm. Aykroyd was writing this movie for him and Belushi to star in. Because like, I think at that point, Belushi was kind of on the downslide because he had started some movies 
that hadn't done so well, you know, 1941, Neighbors, and he was writing this for, was that? Continental Divide. Yeah, oh, mm. yeah, and like, so he was writing this to sort of, you know, get Belushi back in the limelight, but unfortunately, Belushi uh, passed away as he was writing this uh, screenplay. But yeah, yeah, this would have really made it a different movie. Yeah, I mean, that's a completely different movie, because, I mean, obviously, Bankman was tailored for, for Bill Murray, and... I understand like a lot of the lines that people think are improv are actually scripted. There are some genuine improvs in there, but they, they also said like, yeah, Bill's smart enough to know when the material is good. So, uh, but he, he plays it in such a spontaneous way that it seems like it's an improv a lot of times. Right. And I think that's why people really, I mean, in this movie, I think like Bill Murray Vankman is kind of the standout because he kind of plays it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, Kevin, where he's constantly cracking joke, cracking wise, Nothing seems to really phase him at all. And I feel like a lot of guys, especially kind of, uh, you know, like really, really dig that, where it's like a dude who's just kind of going through life, uh, you know, conducting these tests at Columbia where he works, where he's trying to, like, get a chick and, like, yeah. you know, you know, electric, electric the, shock. The introductory guy. scene is him literally electric <laughs> shocking a student and trying to sleep with a female student. And... <laughs> You amazingly, you still like him. You like yeah. him from the go. And that, <laughs> that is how was... charming Bill Murray is. You can keep the five bucks. If anyone else did this in a movie, you would be like, what a dick. But because it's it's Bill Murray, you go with it. I, I don't think anybody would argue that Peter Venkman definitely has a rapey vibe to him. Yeah, um, yeah. But in uh-huh. the 80s, in the 80s, that was viewed very differently than it is in 2021. That's true. Yeah, the, the the standards have changed, and rightly so. But <laughs> yeah, I think somebody. I remember seeing like online somewhere somebody mentioned, you know, it, you know, later on in the movie where uh, Bill Murray goes to see Dana Barrett, but she's possessed by Zool, mm-hmm. and he has to like yeah. kind of he has to like knock her out, and he, he's calling Egon to see what to do next because, and he says, yeah, oh, I, 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 I gave her some uh, Thorazine to calm I her down. I gave her thirty cc's of Thorazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, and wait, like, you just take that on a date, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are like, wait, he just had that on him, Thorazine. Yeah, yeah. I remember Bill Murray or Bill Cosby. Who are you talking? Yeah, about? I remember oh. having a Facebook discussion about Ghostbusters, and one of my friends was like, "Well, obviously, Peter Bankman is a date rapist," and I was like, "I don't know if I can argue with you." Yeah, you, really you, can, but, you don't. But, you don't just go to a drugstore and pick that up. Yeah, that's not Advil. <laughs> but that was the. That was the. The, the, I mean, I don't want to say beauty, but that was sort of the, the the theme in the '80s. The guy who was slick enough to, you know, sneak his way into a girl's pants. Mm-hmm. That was the he was the cool guy. And that, that was the was, guy you know, wanted to be, yeah, right. Yeah. And and then you know there was there was a point where we were all where we all kind of went. Mm. I don't know if it was Bill Clinton or some at some point. Well, also, you know, also, this is this is early 1980s, so it still has that. Uh, uh, you know, the the sexual revolution thing, AIDS hadn't become a thing yet. I mean, it was it was out there, of course, but it hadn't hit the national news until like 85. So there was still that kind of vibe going on where it's just, you know, yeah, get some. Right. So, yeah. Right. But, but yeah. it really is amazing. Like that, that's a ballsy introductory scene. It is. And, and also another thing I think people really liked about Venkman is just that he has, he kind of thumbs his nose at authority. Throughout mm-hmm. this whole movie, like the way he, you know, when he gets chewed out by the dean at the at the university, he just kind of brushes it off. And of course, the 
iconic scene where he gets chewed out by uh, Walter Peck from the EPA. And right. like, 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 you know, Walter Peck comes in saying, hey, I'm with the EPA. I need to see where you store your ghosts, you know, or else I can shut you down and, and whatnot. And yeah. I think for like anybody else, they would be, they would be kind of scared. Like, oh, shit, this guy's coming in threatening to shut down our business. But Peter Venkman's like, no, go get a court order. I don't give a fuck. Which, oh, and by, <laughs> by the way, I uh, and I hate to put on this hat, but I was a lawyer in a past life. Mm. And, and I also worked for state government for many, many years. Walter Peck, while they do make him out to be dickless, yeah. uh, he was completely in the right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like you, like they like, don't have the proper zoning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's they had to get all sorts of permits from the DEP and the EPA, uh, you know, construction, city, state. I mean, th- for what they were doing, which didn't even exist, there was yeah. all sorts. And I respect the movie for putting that character in to, to say, hey – and to bring a little realism to it and say, you know, you guys are running a business that should have gotten certain licenses and you didn't. Yes. And, and now, of course, they made that they made the character a foil who mm-hmm. kind of carry who, who, who really he's the one who, who pushes the movie through. Because if you think about it, if Venkman was nice and just said, yeah, I'll just take you now. Let's talk about it. Here's what we're doing. And he right. said and then and then Peck would have said, oh, well, you know, you guys should have really filled out this paperwork. OK, we'll get to that. We'll get our lawyer on or whatever. This move, the movie would have never happened. <laughs> Because Venkman, Van, because Venkman had to be a jerk. The rest of goes. You got the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. That, I mean, that was Venkman caused the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah, no lies detected, Kevin. Um, yeah, Venkman always has to be the smartest guy in the room, or if he's not the smartest guy in the room, he's the the biggest smartass in the room. Right. He's the Tony Stark of the Ghostbusters world. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and, and also, the movie also like establishes all the characters really well and really quickly. Like, I mean, we we when we first see Egon, he's the ultra serious guy, and we make a reference to him at one point trying to drill open his head as an experiment. And Egon's only response is, "That would have worked if you hadn't stopped me." And by the way, that was improv. Yes, I mean that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, the the movie does a great job, and and I and I going back to the to the very opening scene with Vankman. The reason I I love that scene after watching it so many times is because at the very end, he actually proves his point in the experiment. Mm-hmm. The kid gets the squiggly lines, and yes. he and they said what what you know he says what's the point of this this experiment, and he goes oh I'm trying to pr- prove the the reinforce negative reinforcements impact on psychic ability. Yeah, and so because the kid gets shocked so many times, he actually gets the card the right. It right, yes. and that would have proved his whole thesis. But he was more concerned with actually getting laid than yes. proving his thesis. <laughs> yes, and that and that, by the way, it's it's based on a real experiment, like where, where they were they were doing some sort of experiment with college students, and they were administering the the shocks on wrong answers. But the real purpose of the experiment was to see how willing people would be to shock their fellow students, and it was surprising, like how vicious people got when they had a chance wow and and the cards that they're using are real cards used to test psychic abilities if if you believe in that sort of thing they have like the five patterns i think they're called they're called zen something cards i can't find it on the imb trivia right now because the imb trivia page for ghostbusters is a mile long (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking at it now or something like that yeah yeah, absolutely. But, uh, by the way, the, I, the actress in that scene, uh, Jennifer Runyon, 
I also know her because I've seen her pop up in some other things over the years. She's in the pilot episode of Quantum Leap, and she's in one of the Brady Bunch reunion movies, A Very Brady Christmas. She took over for uh, the Cindy Brady actress. So she's fake Cindy. Wow. Faux Cindy? Oh, wow. All right. Didn't Faux know that. Cindy. Faux That's... Cindy. I've, I've always wanted them to have fake Jan, fake Marsha, and fake Cindy to get together and do a movie. Mm. I think that would be fun. <laughs> They're not dream. Brady's? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just just get the, the, the doppel Brady's all together. and <laughs> Dare to dream. Boy, they're called Zenner cards. Zenner cards. Thank you. Okay, nice. All right, well, yeah, let's keep talking about this movie. Let's talk about, hey, you know what we're talking about? Uh, the great Rick Moranis, who plays uh, Lewis Tully, which is a role that was originally supposed to be applied by John Candy. But yeah. um, I believe, I think they came to creative differences. Like, John Candy wanted to play it one way, and yeah. Ivan Reitman wanted him to play it another way. So they kind of parted ways with that. Right. But still, again, if John Candy was in this movie, it would have been a totally, completely different movie. Yeah, he he wanted to play it with a German accent, and he he wanted to have uh, Dobermans. German. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure if I. All right, it's a. Uh, it's, it's in my in my notes for this. I have uh, Rick Moranis is brilliant, and then a line that's that stuck out to me because he's like he's Dana's creepy neighbor, and he's he's obviously got a little bit of a thing for her, and he's kind of leaving her alone, but he's just too oblivious to pick up the signals. And at one point he says, like, uh, oh, yeah, the creep down the hall called the manager because her TV was too loud. And and I just I, I just had to stop in a minute. And I was like, wait, what does Lewis Tully consider creepy? Because he's <laughs> obviously not picking up on the vibe he's putting out there. Yeah. There's one line I really love that that uh, Rick had in the. Um, in the, the party scene he had at his place mm-hmm. where he's talking to all the guests and he tells one of the guests, yeah, I invited, yeah. uh, cause he's a tax attorney. He said, yeah, I invited clients instead of my actual friends. So I can write Saul off at the business expense. Hey, you enjoying your food there, man? <laughs> <laughs> like that's a joke. I didn't get till I was older. And now yeah. I was like, that, that's hilarious. And and when, when like a pair of guests come into the party, he introduces them to everybody by telling them, about what he did on their taxes. <laughs> you know, he's like, hey, yeah, we got this turnover rate. and other, So they're okay. Ted and Annette Fleming. <laughs> that is, that I love, I love that line when he comes in and he goes, hey guys, this is Ted and Annette Fleming. He, he's got a carpet cleaning business or something and she's got a, 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 a bonus something and he tells their whole finances. I love that scene. And, and by the way, I would argue that Lewis Tully actually isn't trying to get into Dana Barrett's pants. I think he's just genuinely an overly friendly neighbor who wants to like have every, like always be the center. Like he wants people to come over. He wants to be that guy. Cause I don't think he has that, that in his body. Cause Hmm. even because when there's that, that very busty woman at the party and she's like, I'm leaving. And he's like, Oh, well we could date. Like he's not, he's the opposite Peter Venkman. That's true. He's not, he's not lecherous. It is kind of an innocent, yeah, he just wants yeah. to be friends. And that's why he's even like, oh, we'll bring him over when she says, you know, she has a date and he gets all crestfallen. And then he's yeah. like, oh, we'll bring him over. It's not, he doesn't even see it as competition because he just wants to be, he genuinely just wants to be friends with Dana Barrett. And he's just that overeager neighbor who we've all had at one point where it's like, know your boundaries. Like he, do, he does, he does push that, but I don't think, I don't think it's a sexual kind of fiendish way. I think it's more of just, he's genuinely an overly nice guy. Fair enough. I mean, another thing I really loved where, uh, of course, the big scene 
where uh, Vince Clortho uh, chases Louis Lewis out of his apartment, and they, he runs across the street to uh, into Central Park and to Tavern on the Green, and he gets possessed. Like he tries to break into this uh, restaurant, he tries to get into you know get away from the big dog beast while people are just wa- in there eating, and of course he can't get in. And, uh, you know, Vince Clortho try, you know, basically takes him over and possesses him and he screams. Everybody in the restaurant stares at it, waits a beat, goes right back to eating. It's very, very New York. Very that New, was New York. York. In the 80s, especially Tavern on the Green. That was the, pe- that was the Upper East Side people in New York in the 80s. They were all wealthy and they didn't care about anybody. That was kind of the 80s all around. You know, we all had a lot of money. Screw everybody else. We're going to live the way we want. And be damned with the future. And now we're living in the future. And whoops. Here we are. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep, doing podcasts from our bedrooms. <laughs> but yeah, it was a very just New York thing where people see insane things happen and people getting hurt. And they're like, oh, okay, well, oh, I got to get going. <laughs> Back yeah. to my own life. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Kevin, did you, like, uh, since it's a very New York-centric film, although some of it's, oh, although I learned some of the stuff was shot in L.A., but we'll get to that later. Like, did you go and visit any of the sort of New York landmarks that were in this film? Like, you know, of course, the firehouse or... You know, I've seen, I've, I've seen the firehouse, and I the firehouse, I drove by specifically to see it, um, and that was cool. And then I was... Uh, I, I lived in the city for a little bit, and I was on a date in Central Park, and we were walking around, and I looked off on the horizon, and I was like, oh, my God, that's the Ghostbusters building. <laughs> that's the, that's that's Dana Barrett's building, yeah, and and the girl I was with was like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "Oh, well, this isn't going to work out." <laughs> Who's Dana Barrett? It's like, uh, honey, Are we got to we got to talk, honey. Is that somebody else you're dating? <laughs> like, this isn't working out. <laughs> I I mean I do I mean I ask you that question because I do remember because my wife used to work at uh, Columbia and like whenever I'd go up to to visit her, I'd be like, "Oh, this is where Ghostbusters took place. These, these are the stairs where." You know, Einstein did his best work as a patent clerk. <laughs> you know, I got tingles. I got tingles. Yeah, yeah. No, this, it's 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 a great location piece for, especially for us on the East Coast. Right. I mean, yeah, but I did learn, like, uh, through the Netflix uh, show that um that uh Trumbull mentioned, which is a show you, everybody should watch. Uh, the movies that made us. It goes into like the background of a lot of '80s and '90s movies, and like kind of go. You know, it really digs into like re- what really happened behind the scenes of this movie just to get it made. And it's really interesting. But yeah, a lot of the scenes in this movie were shot in L.A. The um, the basement from in the uh, in the library was was shot in L.A. Uh, the inside of the hotel, the Sedgwick, that was in L.A. where they meet Slimer. And uh, well, there was something else that took place in L.A. But I can't remember. Oh, uh, the inside of the firehouse, all shot in L.A. Yeah, they, they shot a lot of this movie in L.A. It seems like most of the interiors were in L.A. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it, there were there really weren't the soundstage opportunities in New York or New Jersey in the '80s. You know, everything was shot in LA. Yeah, yeah, and it also makes sense. You just do like a certain amount of location work in New York, and then you do the rest in, in LA, where you have more of the facilities, or at least you did back then. I understand even in the climax at the when they're in front of Dana's apartment building where the ground opens up and swallows them up. They did some of that in New York, but they did a lot of that, the more effects heavy stuff in LA. Yeah. Well, you need, I mean, you're not going to be able to create the ground breaking in half in New York. 
They created some of that in, in New York, though. Yeah, because I, well, I watched it with the commentary, and they're saying uh, that, that one, one of the locals was saying, like, hey, you're shooting a movie around here, right? Oh, yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to because there's, like, a, a cop car that's in <laughs> a hole in the ground. Oh, really? Wow. That was real. Yeah, apparently they to do that, they cut off the front end of the cop car, and then they put that in a hole they set up on top of the real pavement. So, oh, okay. Okay, that's oh. surprising. Wow. Yeah, that's funky. Interesting. There is that. So I watched, I rewatched the movie last night just to prep for this because I take you guys very seriously. Of course. Yes, and we appreciate it. Serious business here. I watched yeah. the, uh, I watched it on, uh, on Amazon and Amazon gives you notes as you're watching it, which is nice. I actually never noticed that. And it'll give you little trivia and little facts about the scene that you're watching and the scene where they, where the ground breaks open as they're going up to, to battle with Gozer. They when the ground breaks open and they all fall in, they, they, it's very obviously four stunt doubles, uh-huh. and none of one of them, all four of them are white guys. One of them is a little overweight, and if you if you freeze it, none of them look anything like the four actual Ghostbusters. Did they put a stuntman in in blackface? For that oh movie? God! <laughs> I think even the, even at that point they had the good sense probably not to do that. Okay, okay. So it's just suddenly Winston is white for once. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, it's, it's four. Though. It's four just white guys. I've got. Well, I mean, and yeah, I mean, Winston has seen shit that'll turn you white. Yeah, well, that no, is he's true. Turn you white, that would. <laughs> they put that line in to cover. <laughs> <laughs> they should have just cut to Winston. Oh shit! I turned white again. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! Again. <laughs> something i found myself wondering um like in towards the middle of the movie when like the ghostbusters they've done their big their first big ghost busting at the hotel um and then we have this whole montage of them becoming more popular and getting more jobs and all that i really found myself wondering how long is this supposed to cover is this supposed to cover weeks or months because if it's weeks that makes more sense with them still having Dana as an ongoing case. If it's months, what the heck was going on with Dana's case during that time? But at the same time, they're making like the covers of national magazines and stuff. I, I assumed it was like a month. Uh-huh. Like the whole thing was over the course of a, of a, of a month. Okay. And, and you got to think without the internet, there wasn't as much interesting news back then. There wasn't, I mean, obviously this would still be top news at any point, but they're just, you weren't so, so, any story would get coverage constantly because now like a, now a story you get, you know, if you get 24 hours out of a story, it's a lot because there's so much happening and you know so much, you just move on to the next story. Back then they would milk a story for weeks. If That's not. True. Long. Yeah. Yeah. The news cycle is much faster nowadays. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. And Oh, by the way, we got a little Larry King cameo. Maybe. We did. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if he was still just a radio guy at this point or if he had any sort of TV presence. Because they don't really shoot his face full on. Um, and by the way, did you know that Ron Jeremy is in this movie? Wait, what? Is he? The porn star Ron Jeremy was an extra in Ghostbusters. Did, did you see him? Where is he? You see him in like one of the crowd scenes. I've I've seen like screen caps of this, and it is a hundred percent true. It sounds like an urban myth, but no, yeah, Ron Jeremy, who had I understand the nickname of the Hedgehog. Uh, he is, he is in Ghostbusters. Wow, <laughs> this might have been. I have no idea when the man got into porn or anything like that, or so if he was making his living at that point. But yeah, that's a weird Ghostbusters fact. Huh. <laughs> wow, his 
His IMDb must be. It's like, oh, porn, 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 <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters porn parody. <laughs> I no saw, uh, I saw, not to go too far off on a tangent, I saw a horror movie. I can't remember what it was called. I used to do a podcast with a couple other comics where we reviewed terrible horror movies. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, was something, something Sleepaway Camp. Uh, mm-hmm. a terrible horror movie. Uh, just awful. But oh, and I don't remember anything about it. But at the end, Jesus appears, and it was Ron Jeremy. Oh my God! And I was like, that <laughs> religious whoever wrote that in and agree, like everybody's going to hell. Everyone involved in this movie is going to hell. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. I, so. <laughs> I I don't even know what to say about that. That's a, that's a choice. That's a direction. Oh yeah. That somebody chose to go in. Yeah, that was an accidental casting. Okay. Well, oh, you know, since since we we sort of somehow segued into. Porn stars. Should we talk about the Dan Aykroyd dream sequence? Yeah. What? I mean, yeah. Let's let's talk about it. Because like when I was a kid and I saw this, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, blowjobs. That's what's up. But now I I watch this as an adult. I'm like, why was this in here? This is weird. Well, from what I understand, it's like a remnant of a deleted scene. They had a sequence where they went to some place to like check out the haunted house or something like that. And so that was originally a real thing. But I think they liked the gag of. Dan Aykroyd like crossing his eyes in the middle of it so much that they had to get it into the movie somehow, so they just put it in as a dream sequence. PG movie, people. Yeah. And but and again, it goes back to the '80s. Sex was funny. Everyone was having sex, even ghosts. Right. It, right. it was. It was just a sexy time, and you know, <laughs> it's just. And by the way, I think the '80s were probably the least sexy time. But <laughs> yeah, it it is a very it's a very odd scene, and it was. And I would I I don't remember as an eight-year-old seeing that scene and thinking about it. Um, but I would love to have got, be able to go back and ask myself, what was I thinking when that scene happened? Because clearly yeah. I have no idea what was going on. She's probably just tickling his toes. Yeah, where did she go? <laughs> Why did you yeah. fall off the bed? I don't know if I got what I was seeing, because I, I was like 11 when I saw the movie. So, And by the way, the, the woman playing the ghost is uh, his real-life wife, Donna Dixon. Oh. Oh, really? So, yeah. yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So that's that's kind of cool, but it's such a it's such a weird non sequitur scene. I mean, it's a funny scene, but it's just like, what is this doing here? <laughs> it's like, again, the definite definite choice. It doesn't have anything to do with the movie at all. It's just like, uh, hey, let's put in this uh, BJ scene with the ghost. Uh, yeah, you know, for shits and giggles. You know what though? It's 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 interesting that you said that, John. That it might that it was uh, possibly a, a scene from another scene that just didn't make it in because it does make sense that that because there's a lot more because if there was a little more context around that it might not be as jarring right (laughs) but the fact that you know if there was like oh man the you know there's a leak in the containment system and some of these ghosts seem to be seeping out right and 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 oh my god look what happened you know one of the ghosts raped dan (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) but i mean that's what happened guys i hate to break it to you (laughs) holy Uh, hell (laughs) So I guess I guess that was non-consensual ghost sex. I hadn't yeah, thought about yeah. it in that regard, um, but you're absolutely right. Hashtag me boo. Oh, oh. no! Happy Halloween, everybody! Oh boy, there it is. <laughs> I regret <laughs> nothing. I regret nothing. <laughs> I said what oh. I said. <laughs> you know, another thing I like about this movie is, like, I actually buy the Venkman. Dana 
romance. They don't seem like a lot of times in comedies, you see like these severely mismatched couples. It's like, you know, Adam Sandler and Salma Hayek. Right. You know, it's just like, it's some schlumpy comedian with some supermodel. But here it's like, I can buy that Dana would find Venkman charming because Bill Murray's very charming. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. I have a, I have a, I have a, a friend uh, who, who batted way out of his league with his wife mm-hmm. and he's, but he's a very charismatic, charming guy who looks like a disaster and his wife is gorgeous and it makes sense. Yes. It's, not, it's not one of those, you know, it's not one of those like, how did this happen? Like you get it. And it's the same. Absolutely. I don't think anybody ever watched. I don't think of any of the complaints of the movie. I don't think anybody would go. Yeah. That Vankman could never get Dana. No, he totally, he totally could. He, he was hmm. slick. He, you know, he made her laugh. You ask any woman what's the first thing that they that they look for is a guy who makes them laugh. Yeah, um, or a ma- guy with Thorazine. Yeah, or yeah, or a guy who makes them laugh and has Thorazine. Hey. Are they actively looking for the Thorazine? Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and I think before this movie, Gorney uh, Weaver had primarily done. I mean, she had done some action movies. Of course, she was just coming off of Aliens, but she had mm-hmm. she also done like a lot of dramas too. So this was kind of her first foray into the comedy world mm-hmm. and uh just happened to me this movie that's kind of a mix of comedy and a little bit of drama and a little bit of action so it's a it was a pretty good fit for her yeah i totally buy their um their relationship too and i think they have some pretty great chemistry in this film yeah, yeah. yeah. and she was in I, I might be wrong about this but was she, she was in cabin in the woods wasn't she yes yes she was. and, and yeah. I, I i think she really likes those kind of crossover parts where I, I loved Cabin in the Woods. I think it's, mm-hmm. a, it's I think it's a highly underrated movie, and it's very self. I love movies that are self aware. No, and, great. And it is it is very self aware. And I think her part at the end as like the head of this agency trying to keep the world moving through this horrible device. Uh, I think the way when she shows up, she's one of those characters now. She's one of those actors who, when they show up in a movie, it's like, oh man, it's Sigourney Weaver. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I think this movie, uh, you know, her being in this movie was like sort of a gateway to her to like, you know, do like sort of more, uh, you know, more like sci-fi things and more action films and just sort of maybe ingratiating herself into like a uh, this sort of person to have like this sort of this longevity in a way. Because people are like, oh, yeah, it's a Gorney Weaver, Ghostbusters. All right. Yeah, it definitely earned her street cred. Yeah, exactly. Like, so when she shows up in things like Cabin in the Woods, which is a fantastic film, people are like, oh, it's a Gorney Weaver. All right. All right, so we just talked about Sigourney Weaver. Um, mm-hmm. let's see, uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Maybe we could talk about um, Annie Potts, who plays Janine Melnitz. It's a small role, but like I think she really, I still, I still like say sometimes to my friends, like when I pick up the phone, you know, Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think so. One of the one of the interesting little tidbits the the movie gave me when I was, I think maybe I read it that the the relationship between. Janine and Egon was supposed to be a bigger part of the story. Right. And yeah, there was supposed to be more of a romance. Right. And they just decided that, you know, they, they, they just didn't want to waste time on it. But there still is that there still is a couple of instances where you see that she likes Egon and Egon is a robot who doesn't respond to any of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. it was, it, it was weird. And I don't want to get too much into talking about the sequel, but once you get to the sequel, that's completely gone. Yeah, then, she's like she's like digging on Lewis, right? She's and they up had some crazy and and her character was very different in this in the sequel 
than yeah. she was in this movie. Um, but it, it was interesting because there are still some moments where you see that she says, you know, there, when, when they bring in Lewis Tully and, you know, they're trying to figure out what to do when she go, and she like puts her, she's she puts her hands on Egon and she says something like, oh, I'm very, you know, I'm scared for you or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just, it's strange because you constantly were waiting for something like that, something to happen with that. And then it just kind of never does. And not even, and it never does in a way where it's like, oh, it doesn't because Egon's a stiff. It just, it just, it just kind of fizzles out. And you could almost feel it in the movie that they were like, oh, we don't know what to do with this. Just forget about it. Yeah, but I don't feel like it's a, it's a big thing that didn't pay off. It's just like a very minor thing in the movie. I don't mind what they have in there with it. So, I mean, I, th- I think it works what we have in there. Yeah, okay. I think, yeah, no, I agree though. Like, I, I really did feel like, you know, that, that there were sparks between them or especially, or more, maybe more from uh, Janine's than Egon, because like you said, he's like a robot who collects spores, mold, and fungus. And he, he does not know the way love. What is what is that emotion? But like, I definitely felt like she really dug him, and like, I did feel like they they should have maybe explored that a little bit more, but then like, I mean, from what I read, or from what I saw, I didn't read, from what I saw in the Netflix doc, like, they were kind of shooting the thing at a fast pace, because they, they had to hit a deadline. Like, they had to have this uh, film finished by uh, June 8th, because like mm-hmm. the uh, the studio wanted it out by then, so you know because that's the beginning of summer, and that's when they'd make the most money. And like I think they started this this whole process, this entire film, like a a year prior, which right. you know should be yeah, enough time, but it not wasn't a lot of time for especially yeah. for a special effects heavy movie. Which oh yeah. this was yeah. And, so and this is of course you know, like a pre digital era too, so we have to do all this stuff like through animation or optics or whatever. Can right. I, can I can I say something about the the visual of this movie? No, that I. <laughs> <laughs> you shut your mouth. <laughs> and I and I and I think I'm going to fail to properly express it. But there's okay, something okay. about the look of this movie. And it might have been the way they taped the the way they taped movies in '84 versus when they did the sequel. Because uh, this was a sequel in '90. '89. It was '89. Okay. So no, no, wait, maybe what? No, no, it was a summer '89. I remember because it was the same summer as Batman and. Indiana. Yeah, you're right. Yep, yeah. you're right. Um, but the movie has a very kind of grainy i don't want to say harsh but it has a it, it gives you the feeling of it's a, like a bigger movie than it was than it actually was the uh-huh. way the shots were done the way it, it looks the feel of the movie just had a, a bigger feel to it like you were watching like these four idiots came up with this idea but it was like it ends up having this kind of almost global impact you know gozer was to win um and you kind of get that through the through the look of the movie if you go and watch the sequel, the sequel was shot very differently. The, mm-hmm. the shots were different. The The look of the movie was different. And it felt very, and that's why I always said it was a shot in the 90s, because it felt very 90s. It had a very 90s look to it. Uh-huh. And I think that, I mean, the sequel had a lot of problems, but I think that was almost one of the issues that when you looked at the movie, just looking at it, it didn't feel like the same movie as the original. And uh-huh. that always that always strikes me, because when you when you watch this movie... The, the scene, the bigger scenes when they're, you know, when they're rolling out of the mayor's office and they have the army with them and everything, you're like, wow, people are like, this is a serious, like something's happening. And then when mm-hmm. they roll up in front of the building and all the people are there and they have the, the, the priest and the rabbis and everybody's, you know, and you're like, wow, this is like the whole city came to get, you had a real feeling. And the, the sequel didn't capture that. And there's something really to be said about how they, they were able to build, make them such, you know, and I mean, 
they did it in, like you said, in, in a year, but they still built this movie that had like kind of a whole universe behind it. And it felt like it did where the, the sequel didn't, didn't, and I didn't want to make this a, a you know, an 84 versus 89 discussion, but there's something, there's something about the look of the movie. And I don't think, and by the way, I don't think that, and I don't think anyone would argue special effects don't hold up at all. The, most of the special effects scenes are, are, are pretty bad, especially with the dogs and um, the Slimer scene actually is pretty good. And yeah. the, but the, the the special effects are, are probably the weakest link in this movie today. I, they vary a lot in terms of quality, but I because it's a comedy, I'm going to give it a lot more leeway than oh, I would, absolutely like you absolutely. Know, a summer blockbuster or something. I, I think they're they're kind. Some of the effects are bad, but there's almost a charm to them still because partly because it's like old school effects. Like, you know, there's like stop motion on the dogs and stuff like that. (laughs) Right. You know, they're going, they're going like Ray Harryhausen with the dogs at times. Yeah. They built a practical, they built a life-size demon dog. Yeah. As a practical effect. Now he was, I think he was laying down and Mm -hmm. they used him a number of times, the same thing in just different positions. But I mean, there there is something to be said for the charm of practical effects. Yeah, yeah, like um, like that cab driver scene with the with the rotting, uh, you know, totally. like crypt, crypt keeper as a cab yeah. driver. That that was terrifying when I first saw that. That whole that whole that whole segment when mm-hmm. that first of all that song. Uh, I believe and, it's magic, magic. Yeah, that song creeped the hell out of me, and then. When all the all the lights were traveling through, you know, there were supposed to be ghosts traveling through the city and reinfecting the, the city. That whole scene is incredibly creepy, and it's yeah. in broad daylight. Which, by the way, making something creepy in broad daylight is an accomplishment. And that's true. That's true. And the the music, just that music, and that song for an '80s song because '80s music really doesn't hold up very well. Mm-hmm. It, that really, really holds up, and it was. That's just I watched it again. I watched it last night. It's a really powerful scene for what it was because it, it you know, that's kind of the climax of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and actually, they had some really talented people designing monsters and ghosts. I know that one of the people who who worked on Ghostbusters was the comic artist uh, Bernie Wrightson, who is uh, probably best known as one of the co-creators of Swamp Thing. So they had some, Oh, wow. he came up with like some really cool looking monsters. And I, I just found a link with some of his uh, concept sketches. I'll, I'll maybe, maybe we can tweet that out from the SNL nerds account. It's, it's really cool. The, the stuff that he did. I think he worked on the sequel as well, but uh, yeah. So, but yeah, right. the, the theme is good. There are some very eighties songs on it. I remember having like the, the soundtrack on cassette tape and I would like listen to it mowing lawns when I was a teenager. <laughs> I always liked that uh that one thing the Elmer Elmer Bernstein song that uh the score is great. I mean he's uh you know he also did the scores for Animal House and uh makes sense. And uh oh what else? Uh Trading Places I think. Like oh, he, nice. he was he was the guy like after he did the score for Animal House, they had him doing a lot of comedies and he he really had the touch for that. He really enhances the comedy, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. He's, and, uh... again, and again, the music matches the is it a horror? Is it a, a comedy? It's mm-hmm. both. And it's seamless. Yes. The, the, the music captures at times. And, it, and, you know, the music can tell you, is this going to be a funny moment or is this going to be, you know, should I be holding on to my chair? And the music does it very, very well for the movie. 
Yeah, that's true. That's okay. true. Yeah, so uh so the composer you were mentioning, uh, Elmer Bernstein, I looked it up. So he's yeah. his I mean his resume is impressive. He's also did a score for Airplane, The Blues Brothers, uh, American Werewolf in London, Stripes, uh, Trading Places, like you mentioned, Ghostbusters, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos, uh, Funny Farm. I mean, the dude's, wow. he's, he's had uh, Cape Fear. Like, dude has had some hits. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, I still remember that Cape Fear score. That was something else. Um you know, another another thing I noticed towards the end of the movie, when the Ghostbusters are in jail, like when they've you know defied Walter Peck one too many times and they're in a holding cell, the cop who comes gets them out yep. is Reginald Bell Johnson, typecast, my man, yeah. <laughs> playing yet another cop. I mean, he Reginald Bell Johnson from Family Matters and Die Hard. <laughs> I would like to think that that since his character wasn't named, I'd like to think that he's playing the same character that he played in in Die Hard. And just at oh. some point between Ghostbusters and Die Hard, he shot a kid and then just went to Los Angeles. Mm. <laughs> dark origin story. Yeah. And so thus we have a Ghostbusters Die Hard cinematic universe. Oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> dude, you're blowing my mind right now. Jeez. Right? I could see that. I mean, but that's also a great scene, too, where they uh, look over oh, the okay. blueprint and they explain to you know, pretty much the audience exactly what's going on and what's happening and how the building is actually a conduit, like a antenna to draw in all the ghost energy, you know, created by Evo Shandor and all that stuff. And as they're talking about this, all the other inmates are like kind of slowly gathering around and like, like, hey, what's going on over here? What are these guys talking about? Well, when That's- Egon is explaining it and he's getting more and more dramatic about it, and then he's like, and that's just what's happening now. And he like stands up and everybody's suddenly around and you see him kind of like look around. It's uh-huh. that is such a masterful. Oh, I love that. That whole that whole sequence between the uh, between the, the in, in jail and then in the mayor's office is my favorite part of the movie. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I love that everybody else in the holding cell is also just sort of huddled up and gathered together. <laughs> like they're a part of this discussion. <laughs> So be good, for goodness sake. Whoa. That's, that's hilarious. And like, obviously, you know, they're just, they're drunks or whatever. Right. They're just dudes in a cell. <laughs> they have nothing to contribute. There's no, but it's like something interesting to listen to. <laughs> like Gozer worshippers. All right, I'm listening. <laughs> Gozer worshippers. Never study. <laughs> no studying. <laughs> That's a great moment too, where Ray just says to Bankman, "You never studied," and he says it with like genuine disdain. It's, yeah. not, it's not like he's ribbing him. Um, you know, he's, at, at that moment, he does not like Bankman. No. Oh God, that's a well acted moment. Well, and uh, the, the the mayor's office scene is real is is my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, the everything that happens in that scene is awesome. From from. <laughs> From the cop going, the walls in the 52nd precinct are bleeding. And I think I got yes. the precinct wrong. Um, and then when the, when the archbishop shows up. Right. Oh, your eminence. Never, Lenny. Can <laughs> <laughs> you see Vankman's, Vankman's face? Because <laughs> he's, he's so excited to just be in the middle of all of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he's like, I think Mike's right. You should listen to him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I also love when Vankman's like he's turning the mayor around. Yes. It's like, if we pull this off, you will have saved the lives 
of millions of registered voters. And then there's just a quick sh- cut to the archbishop and he just sort of nods yeah. in approval. Like, <laughs> yeah, he knows and, how it works. And the realization on the mayor's face, you see, yeah. he just gets, he has a tiny little smile. It's so brilliant because that's exactly what politicians are. That, yes. that perfectly captures the, the, the focus of a politician. He goes, oh yeah, I'm going to be the hero. Yeah. And, yeah. and then it's, it's just game over. He's just on right. Ghostbusters' side. I mean, uh, I mean, to your point, yeah, this, this scene I thought was just fantastic. I mean, the one scene that sticks out in my mind from this uh, scene, of course, where um, uh, it's Walter Peck burst in saying, yeah, these, ca- these guys caused all of this. You know, they, you know they, uh, they put out this gas in the world. People think they're seeing ghosts. And then they come in and they, and they you know, quote unquote, t- take care of the goats. It's all a sham. And then, uh, and then uh, Ray says, yeah, we, you know, we, we're not, we're just exterminating goats. Everything was working fine. So we got shut down by Dickless over here. Right. And of course, the mayor says, is this true? Peter Wait to Beat says, yes, it is true. This man has no dick. Yeah. God, I love that line. My yeah. God. That is brilliant. I mean, we take that. Well, that's what I heard. <laughs> yeah. We take that for granted now, but that is. That is brilliant. I don't know if that was a scripted line or if it's improv. I think it was scripted. Yeah. I mean, whichever it is, it is fucking hilarious either way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Oh, yeah. I, I still say that oh, on, a, on a regular basis. You've said Absolutely. it several times on this podcast. <laughs> Damn straight. And I'll say it several more. <laughs> I mean, do any of you guys have a favorite quote from this film that you like still to this day say over and over? I mean, there. You know, one that, that I love, it's from early in the movie. Um, I love the, when they go into the New York Public Library and they're interviewing the librarian who saw the ghost. <laughs> and Venkman just says, are you, Alice, menstruating right now? What's that and, got to do with it? And then he just stands up slowly and he just goes, back off, man. I'm a scientist. <laughs> and, it's just, and Bill Murray just total deadpan, throws it away. It is hilarious. You know, one of my favorite lines, and it's I, it's my favorite because I say it all the time, and it's mm-hmm. and it's such an overlooked moment. Is yes, have some. I had a friend in college who would say that. <laughs> I I think Rick Moranis was amazing in that whole scene, and just that. <laughs> would you like some coffee? Would I? Yes, have some. Yes, have some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm, I still, I, to be a college friend, I do have a friend of mine uh, from college who did dress up as uh, Louis Tully as possessed by Vince Clortho for, ho- for Halloween a couple years. Like, you know, he got like a yeah. spaghetti strainer, put some wires on it, put it on his head and just wore like a, his glasses and a, a, a messy blue uh, polo shirt or messy blue. Uh, like A friend Oxford of mine shirt. did that exact same costume for Halloween with uh, Louis Tully with a colander on his head. It was a guy in uh, my That's own project. Awesome. Is it the it do we, is it the same friend? What's that? <laughs> is it the same friend? Wow. I don't know. Is it was your friend named Dave? No, John. It's John. Okay. My friend was John Accardo. All right. Well, we just had with another an John? Awesome moment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, uh, great ho- great Halloween costume, my dear guys. For anybody who wants to do that, I I have a couple of questions about the climax of the movie. There were a couple things that just kind of popped out at me. Um, Mr. Stay Puffed? When, what's that? Mr. Stay Puffed? Or well, well, in the lead up to that, Venkman says, like, uh, Gozer says, like, choose the method of your destruction or something like that. And Venkman kind of explains it to the others. He's like, 
So if we think of J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover will come and destroy us. So obviously, if you say that, you have just thought of J. Edgar right. Hoover. Yeah. So why doesn't J. Edgar Hoover thought of the exact just same come and destroy them? Yep. Yeah, yeah, he should. He maybe shouldn't have said that because, yeah, that you will think of like once you say, you will think of it. That makes would have been a very different ending. It would have been. I would. I, I would also be behind uh, an ending where a giant J. Edgar Hoover in a dress, <laughs> um, you know, maybe just like a nice strapless number with some sequins. Oh. That would be great. <laughs> a big spender. But you know, I realize that's just an efficient way to explain it to the audience. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man. I mean. Wow. Like, I think this is one of the things that was uh, from Aykroyd's original script, because like, I think when, uh, when yes. Aykroyd originally wrote the script, he had, it had more of a different tone to it. And then um, he, when he got together with Ivan, he suggested bringing on Harold Ramis, and then they kind of rewrote it. But mm-hmm. uh, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man thing, that was one of the holdovers from the original script. Yeah, I understand Ackroyd's original script, it like took place in a future world and there were like teams of Ghostbusters all over the world. It was like this new civil service thing, like, you know, the fire department or, yeah. or the post office. And they and and uh Reitman and Ramus sort of helped him scale back all his wild ideas into something relatable. And really the movie builds beautifully because it it, it starts out in more or less a regular world. And it just bit by bit, it sort of takes you along this path and introducing more fantasy, science fiction, supernatural elements. And by the end, we've got the giant marshmallow man parading through New York City. <laughs> and that is why I'm worried about the new movie. Mm. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's talk, let's get into it. I, I, I have concerns uh-huh. okay. that because you're already existing in this world. So right. th- that happened. So I assume, I assume um, Afterlife is going to acknowledge both, both two, both movies. It seems like it. From what I, everything I've heard, there, it takes place in the same continuity. As- so, I didn't know if they were just going to disavow the sequel. No, but- no. I mean, have you seen the trailers for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have that one scene where uh, the girl is watching the old, you know, "We're ready to believe you" ads on YouTube. Right, no, no, but that was for the first. That was from the first one. I didn't know if it was going to. He's asking if Ghostbusters Two still happened. Oh, it was somehow disavowing Ghostbusters. I, I assume that's canon. Is Ghostbusters yeah. Two is still canon within this universe? Yeah, I don't. I don't think Ghost. Hmm. I, I'm. I don't think Ghostbusters Two is so badly regarded that they would just totally write it off. Like, no, I no, and the only reason I bring it up was because so after the first one happened in the sequel, they suggest that like there was this whole push to say oh that was all you know they they made that up that never it didn't happen like that and it was right. all a hoax right then it happens again and now there's a huge you know uh river of goo under the city and a dome forms over that museum so you can't deny it again right yeah there's so more physical you, evidence right yeah so now you exist in a world where you know there are ghosts this incontrovertibly happened and mm-hmm. Now, so now you have to move forward from that. And it's, you know, however many, you know, 20, 23 years later, 22 years later. So you, you have to, you're starting from a point where you're not going to have that like wide eye moment of like, oh my God, ghosts are real. Like this is like, we're, you know, we're kind of existing in this, this scientific movie, albeit a comedy. And now there's ghosts because now we're already, we're already there. So, mm-hmm. so there can't be that moment of where they're like, oh my God. Now it's kind of got to be like, oh, we're doing this again. 
Like, oh, it's they're back. Right. So it's it's going to have a very different sort of momentum to the movie, you know. I, it might be like a thing, and I'm I'm just spitballing here. I have no idea how they're going to approach this. It might be a thing where it's enough time has passed since the originals that there's like a whole new generation of disbelievers now. Yeah, because I think now we kind of live in a world where, you know, people kind of get to choose what facts are real and what facts aren't. So, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I probably have more concerns about it. It looks like it's largely taking place outside of New York. Maybe they're just holding New York stuff back. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it's mostly takes place in the city in Oklahoma, they're saying. Yeah. So I'm a little concerned about that. Maybe that'll work brilliantly. I don't know. I'm trying to keep an open mind about it. And I'm also worried about it treading a little too much on our nostalgia, which is, you know, it's a tough thing to do. It's sequels are really tough. <laughs> now I'm sorry. sorry about that. And you know, sometimes dogs get demonically possessed. Oh my god, what was that? A thing that happens. Kevin <laughs> um, has dogs, everyone. <laughs> that scared the hell out of me. That was Gozer and Vigo. <laughs> that was Gozer and Vigo. You've named your dogs after Ghostbusters characters. I did. I okay, did. who brought the dog? <laughs> okay, and and since we are a very pro dog podcast, would you be able to willing to share pictures of Gozer and Vigo with us? You can yeah, be in the picture too if you want. All right, of let's course. Do that. We'll we'll post that. Yeah. I mean, they don't they they don't look anything like their namesakes, but <laughs> they're just well, big, they're just big, good. they're giant, fluffy stuffed animal looking dogs. But all uh, right, <laughs> well, they sound adorable. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, they're wonderful. They're wonderful dogs, and who are who bark at literally everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Did someone like just walk by your house? Yeah, well, it's it's you know it's Halloween, so. Oh, we'll keep coming up to the house, and uh, that's that's true. Yeah, I guess we are starting to get the trick or treaters now. I don't, I don't really get to trick or treaters in my apartment complex. So you count yourself lucky. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, But yeah, let's let's talk about. uh, I think you were mentioning uh, the Ghostbusters Afterlife because, like, I remember you saying on Facebook. Another one of your concerns is you think this new movie. It's not as much a comedy as as the first two were. Like, this seems to be, like, more of a Stranger Things kind of, you know, sci-fi drama action yeah. movie than an actual comedy. Yeah. Did I say that? Did I say that? It was a- no, no, no. Uh, Trumbull said that. Okay. Because it sounded oh, I like something oh. I'd say. I remember seeing you either, either you said it or you put it on Facebook. I don't remember saying that, but okay. Oh. Um, All right. I if thought- you say I say it, I, I, I believe you. Um, Who the hell yeah, was it then? If it was- well, I, I agree with what you might have said. Yeah, it might have been my first reaction to the trailer, and I've just forgotten it. I, I say, oh, you know what? No, John, he's right because I think we had an exchange on your po- your cast your your post about it because okay. the first trailer that was dropped, there was no funny in it. Oh they, yeah, they make it look with like the a car, right? Right, and they make it yeah. look well, not just the car. No, the the, fir- the very first trailer where full trailer, not just the car. Mm-hmm. But the fir- the actual the, the first trailer, there wasn't a single moment that was f- that looked funny, right. and and then the, the more recent one that they dropped once they showed the mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Men, you know, then the, then you kind of get the sense that there's going to be some you know haha in it. But the, yeah, because I think we had a discussion about it because 
for them to push the movie, the first the first view we get of the movie, the first look we get, and has no comedy in it whatsoever, it left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a little concerning, but I mean, yeah, I guess they were just looking to intrigue people, and it's. I mean, I, I had to think so far back because that had to be like two years ago that they dropped the first trailer because. Yeah. It was originally supposed to come out last summer, right? And just you know, because of and you know, COVID, uh, it it's got pushed back like most movies. But um, you know, I think I, especially since they are using you know the one kid from Stranger Things, and it yeah. seems to be almost like a YA type feel with the cast really focusing on this next generation, and they're very young, you know, they're teenagers. So you're yeah. always going to get that that Stranger Things comparison. And one of them is supposed to be like Egon's daughter or granddaughter. Granddaughter, or something. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder how they're going to approach that because, I mean, obviously, sadly, Harold Ramis is no longer with us. But we're in a world where there is a definite afterlife. So how do you address why yeah. Egon is not there? I mean, in most any other type of movie, you could just say, yeah, he unfortunately died like the actor did. But in, in the world of Ghostbusters, how is there not a ghost Egon floating right. around? <laughs> well, no, and I, I, I hope to your that. point, I hope they don't do anything with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they could do like some sort of laser. <laughs> I hope Harold Ramis or something. But yeah, that a lot of pitfalls with that. Okay, but uh, e- I mean, either way, I'm going to check the movie out the theater. Like, I, yeah. I have enough, you know, love and for I have enough love for this movie and this franchise to to go check it out. And plus, you know, the fact that. Jason Reitman is has directed it, and you know I think uh-huh. he knows how how important it is for the fans to get this right. So he like it seems like every time I see him do interviews, he's he's constantly assuring people like, no, no, we pay homage to the original, we got it right. It's not. He yeah. seems to like kind of be distancing himself from that you know that 2016. Well, they got, uh, they got so much flack for the 2016 version. Yeah, uh, and. Like, I, I still have not seen that version, not because of any stupid, like, oh, women shouldn't be Ghostbusters thing. Um, it was just because I was sick of most of the people who were in it, honestly. Like, the only right. one that I was, like, really gung-ho about seeing was Kate McKinnon, and that's just one-fourth of the cast. Um, I've, I've seen, like, a few minutes of it on TV, but that's it at this point. Well, it's at, bad. At this point, I'm saving it for us to cover it on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen it either, and that's just mainly because... From I from what I've seen in the trailers and the commercials for it when it you know when it was out I was like oh this doesn't look good this doesn't look really funny and like and I decided not to just see it just based off that it, it, there wasn't anything in it from the trailers I saw that made me want to go out and see it and right. um, and again I feel weird like saying you know that because like it's one of those things where it's like you said John like where if you say you didn't see this movie, then automatically become a, a woman hating man. And you're a sexist. Yeah. Why do you hate women? Yeah. And it's not that, you know, I, I want to see women succeed everywhere, but like this movie just, it just didn't look good. It didn't look yeah. funny. See that your dog agrees with me. It didn't look yeah, good. He, he did. He was, he was fully on board with that. Did, uh, did you see it, Kevin? Did you, I did. You, you weren't nuts about it, right? No, it was terrible. Was that it was, it was terrible. Okay. It, uh, it, so the, without getting too far into it, the problem with the, the 2016 movie is that as where we were saying that our concern with the with Afterlife is that they didn't show any comedy is the 2016 movie was just comedy. Mm-hmm. It, it completely lost the sci fi horror feel that the original Ghostbusters 
captured so well. And it was just super sticky. It felt like one long SNL sketch that never ended. Mm. And it just, it, you know, if maybe if Ghostbusters had never existed and maybe if they just made that movie, it wouldn't have been as bad. But being that it had to live up to the original, that was such a great movie, is yeah. such a great movie. It, it didn't even attempt to capture what made it such a great movie. They just thought, oh, if we put four funny people together, it'll work. No, there was yeah. so much more going on behind Ghostbusters 84 than just the cast. There was yeah. a great, great screenplay. And, yes. and this movie did not have that at all. Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. It, it seemed like it was more comedy funny than, you know, sci-fi, you know, horror and action. And it, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if the chemistry between the cast members was it seemed maybe a little off here and there. Which is weird because they're all four funny people, you know. Yeah. But I, I, well, and I again, that sorry, John. Go ahead. And no, again, go ahead. it goes to the point that we were talking about earlier. They were all four funny people. Where in the original Ghostbusters '84, you they each knew their part. Mm-hmm. You now Egon wasn't cracking jokes. Ray wasn't necessarily cracking jokes. Peter oh, was. Peter was. Peter was the funny man. Ray and Ray and Egon were there to you know for Peter to react on, and yeah. in 2016 movie everybody was supposed to be funny and outlandish. Oh, so there wasn't as much contrast among the characters. No, they were each they were each just their ridiculous. It was like a character of it. It's it, it it missed on literally almost every beat of the movie. There was the only scene that I thought was like, oh, that's I appreciate that. There's a scene where they test out the proton packs for the first time. Uh-huh. And they like go in an alleyway and they're trying to shoot them and it like goes badly. And I was like, I was like, oh, I respect, like, at least they acknowledge kind of freak, you know, cause they say in the elevator, we've never tested this equipment. So at least they like, they kind of nodded to that a little bit. Okay. But that was the only scene where I thought, oh, that was, you know, they put in a little bit of effort there. Other than that, mm-hmm. the whole movie was terrible. And Chris Helmsworth was terrible. Like everything was just bad. It was just, it was just a terrible movie. I remember like in the lead up to the movie when I was seeing like things like the designs and they're obviously like trying to play homage to the original a lot with the looks of the suits and the proton packs and and even the uh, the Ecto-1. Oh, I still want to drive the Ecto-1 one one day. But but they they it was all so close to the original. It really just made the female casting seem like more of a gimmick because that was the only thing that that seemed different. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's kind of like. Yeah, it's kind of like when they made a female version of Pac-Man, and they called it uh-huh. Miss Pac-Man, but it's still basically Pac-Man. Right, you just it, put it, it was like that. Thing. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I really just wanted to see more in the previews. Like, well, what's different about this one outside of these Ghostbusters are women? Um, so yeah, that that put me off a little bit. Um, yeah, and also I, I just at that point I was like very sick of Melissa McCarthy because she was everywhere. I was sick of Kristen Wiig. I never liked uh, Leslie Jones very much. So, yeah, you know, it was, I, was, I was like, you know, I want to see Kate McKinnon having a great big breakout role in a comedy movie. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I I want to watch two hours of the others no. right now. So, no, don't do it to yourself. Well, I mean, we we will because we watch yeah. things here at the SMO. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like we got to do an episode about this immediately. You've been well, I'm, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. You know, one more thing I want to mention about the movie towards the end of the original 84 Ghostbusters. Winston has the line, like after they just get blasted by um, 
uh, Gozer or Azul, I forget which. Um, he says, this job is not worth eleven five a year. And I got curious, like, okay, so he's he's earning eleven thousand five hundred a year as a Ghostbuster. So I found I found an inflation calculator site, and I wanted to find out how much that is in in twenty twenty one dollars. Hit me. You want you want to guess? Ah, uh, well, it's got to be like what thirty, maybe. Yeah, yeah, you're very close. It's it was it comes out to thirty thousand three hundred sixty one dollars fifty five cents. Jesus, wow. <laughs> which which uh, I just did the math on that. That would be uh, $2,530 a month in New York City. Oh. So, uh, yeah, Winston <laughs> is way underpaid. <laughs> yeah, that's like, oh, man, you got to start a union or something. <laughs> I never noticed that line. I don't know if the other Ghostbusters are getting more because they're like the, the founders of the business. Yeah, he says it's it's almost a throwaway line. He just says this job is not worth eleven five a year. He doesn't say 11500 but I... He says eleven five. So well, he gets he gets room and board, so that's mm. worth something. Is he living there? Yeah, I guess he is. I guess he is living at the uh, firehouse with the other guys. I mean, I would. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You get to slide down that that pole. Yeah, I mean, come, this pole is great. <laughs> well, then, John, <laughs> John, to, to to challenge your to to reuse your inflation calculator, the okay. the kid in the beginning who was only getting five dollars to yeah. get shocked. Today he would have been getting thirteen dollars, which is still not enough to get elected. <laughs> that, that is true. And you know, also we have the whole third mortgage question, where they get their startup capital by putting out a third mortgage. Nineteen percent. You didn't even. <laughs> you didn't even bargain with it. Comes out, it's going to be like ninety-five thousand with interest. Well, I have. I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't want to bring up this point because I was. Yeah. I, I'm pretty. I'm wrong. But I had this theory that the house they inherit in uh, Afterlife, although they say it was Egon's, was somehow that house that Ray mortgaged because uh-huh. that was the only time you ever heard about a house. And right. I thought he said when they were coming out of the bank, that farmhouse has been my, in my family for years. He doesn't. Yeah. He just says that house has been in my family for years. So I, I, the whole time I was like, oh, it's going to turn out that Ray gave the house to Egon or something, but it's, but it's not. And, maybe, or, maybe like when the Ghostbusters became a success again in Ghostbusters Two, Egon was able to use some of that capital to buy back Ray's family house. But I, I, I appreciate it. you trying to make this theory work for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm all about the cool fan theories. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that meme on the internet a few times where they're like, "Oh yeah, uh, Ray definitely lost his parents' house because they went broke between Ghostbusters One and Two. So how could he not? Especially with that huge interest rate." Right. It's very true. So. Oh boy! All right, guys. Uh, so, I mean, is there anything else we want to talk about this movie? Um, and and uh, Kev, like, it's uh, good. <laughs> overall thoughts, overall, you know, opinions it's, and feelings. It's good. I, I panicked. I don't. I will say this. I so I got a chance to watch it recently, uh, mm-hmm. probably three weeks ago. A uh, friend of mine who lives down the street had a movie night where they put up, you know, a big outdoor movie uh, uh, screen. And there were a bunch of kids watching it for the first time. And they were probably seven to nine years old. And the scene went in the library when the, the ghost jumps, they all screamed and it made me so happy. <laughs> it's nice. so nice when like the movies you grew up on still work. Yeah. I, I, I almost started to cry. I was like, it's, it's still got it. <laughs> Beautiful. That's great. That's great. I mean, it's, 
I, th I think it still works beautifully. I mean, it's still funny as hell. I wish I could see it with an audience again. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure I saw it on some anniversary re-release or another, but yeah, I was really kind of wishing like, oh, I wish I could see this in the theater again. I feel like it would be a Rocky Horror type experience where everybody would just be repeating the lines out loud. Uh, that might get annoying. And, yeah. yeah. I, bet, I bet you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you're not all on board with that experience, yeah, it could be pretty obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, some other trivia I, f I just found out about it. Uh, the role of Gozer, uh, they offered it to uh, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Harmon, but apparently yeah. he turned it down. Which would he have was made supposed up. to be, so he was supposed to be uh, Shandor. Uh, oh, he was going to architect, right? Yeah, he was going to appear as Shandor and then turn morph into Gozer, the woman that we end up seeing. And that was going right. to be Gozer's final form. Interesting. So that, and they just axed that, right? Or did yeah. he turn down the role? I, I, I think they, I, I don't know if, I mean, he might have turned down the role, but I think they just axed the whole thing because they wanted to go with something bigger. Hmm. That makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, guys, overall, I mean, Ghostbusters. I mean, Mike, it's a timeless classic, uh, quotable as hell. I mean, to this day, I still want to maybe one day drive the Ecto One and strap a Proton pack to my back. Like, I, if anybody is listening that can make that happen, please let me know. But I mean, my God, this film is just—it warms my heart. Like, I, I've seen this film a hundred times, and I still smile like a child every time I see it. It's. If, if you haven't seen it, what are you doing with your life? Go go make your life better and watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Seriously. I mean, yeah, it's... I mean, this is partly, partly nostalgia talking, but I, th I think it still works great. I, th I think it's still a great film. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the new one. I hope they uh, I hope they do the original proud. That would be nice. Little Reitman, don't let us down. Ugh, yeah, Absolutely. All right, so, uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, John, I know there was something you wanted to mention before we start yeah, talking about um, the, the music video. Uh, well, well, we'll get into the music video in, in just a little bit. Yeah, there is something that I wanted to mention. Um, one of our recent guests on the podcast when we covered the uh, 2004 Starsky and Hutch movie was my friend uh, Greg Hatcher, who writes uh, with me at the Atomic Junk Shop website. Um, but... Uh, unfortunately, um, Greg, uh, just passed away this week. He passed away this last Thursday. And, uh, I just wanted to note that it's, uh, he's had, he had a, a fair amount of health problems the last few years. He was dealing with, uh, he was dealing with cancer and yeah, it was, he, he put up a good fight, but, uh, you know, it, it eventually gets us all. So it's, uh, and I'm going to miss him a lot. He was, he was a good guy, uh, He's a great guest for the podcast. He's one of the most knowledgeable people about uh, pop culture trivia that I have ever known. So, mm. yeah. So, uh, rest in peace, Craig. Just wanted to give him a shout out. No, absolutely. Um, guys, go back and listen to the uh, Starsky and Hutch episode we did back in August. wasn't even that long ago. But, yeah. um, I mean, it's, it's a shame to, to get the, that news and, you know, just... I just hope all is well with uh, you know him and his family and uh, his wife, who uh, you mentioned yeah. also has a GoFundMe. Um, I, I thank you for the reminder. I should also mention um, his wife Julie. They've started up a GoFundMe to uh, help uh, her out, help Julie recover from losing Greg. If you uh, search for that, um, 
And if you can donate anything to uh, that GoFundMe, uh, yeah, please do. So just uh, GoFundMe.com slash F slash help Julie recover from losing Greg. And uh, you should find it. So thanks for the reminder. Um, so on happier news, uh, we're also going to talk about the Ghostbusters music video uh, with the, the world famous theme song by Ray Parker Jr., uh, yeah, I hadn't seen this video in a while, and uh, I mean, when you mentioned you want to talk about it, I was like, oh yeah, Ghostbusters. I mean, we all know the theme song now plays, I mean, it plays every Halloween at this point. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much like that Mariah Carey Christmas song, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I don't remember, I haven't seen the video in a while, and I think there was, I guess, a little bit of controversy around the song, because I think they originally wanted... Like Huey Lewis and the News to do it, but they didn't want to right. do it, so they hired Ray Parker Jr. and like the song he came up with sounds a lot like "I Want a New Drug." Yeah, they actually uh, sued Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism, citing the similarities between his theme song and "I Want a New Drug," and uh, it says here that the uh, it says on the IMDb trivia that the dissimilarities between the two songs, different chord sequences, different refrains, different bridge were greater than in other cases. And the general feeling among musicians was that the judgment was unjust. So apparently he was found guilty of plagiarism. Oh shit. I didn't know that. On that so, I mean, I don't think it, it's not as blatant as dun, 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 Dun 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 dun. dun. You know, just that little change. It's not the same. <laughs> oh, vanilla, where have you gone? Uh, oh, uh, vanilla. Oh, vanilla. You know, so the that I haven't watched that movie video, a music video, yeah. I, probably since it was on MTV in the eighties. I watched yeah. it today because, again, I take this very seriously. Of and I was first of all. It also has a very rapey feel to it. Uh, yeah. Which is, a lot of 80s music videos feel very rapey in retrospect. It's a lot of like the musicians singing to women who are sleeping and they're in their bedrooms. Yeah. And they're like pulling the covers down and she's in like a, like a, a negligee like, type of thing. Yeah, that was creepy. That yeah. Was really, and, you know, I try not to get too PC with things and I try to, you know, you know, being a comic and trying to keep an open mind, but right. there are some things where you know I'm I'm glad we've advanced. Yes, and it's you know probably you know what 15 years ago wouldn't have given me pause. I'm glad that it makes me go. Oh, that's uh, that <laughs> that's yeah. I mean that that's good because it shows you're evolving as a as a human. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's like yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe uh, sneaking into a woman's uh, neon light-filled bedroom and pulling down her covers while she's in lingerie. Maybe that's maybe that's a little creepy. Yeah, maybe that's not the way to go. Uh- <laughs> yeah, but I was surprised. I, 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 I didn't remember this at all with the, all the cameos in it. There's a ton of cameos. And why? I, I've got a list of all the people who cameo, and it is a very random collection of celebrities. You got You got Chevy Chase... You've got uh, Irene Cara from from Fame, I guess, is what she's best known for. Right, and uh, you know that "What a Feeling" song. What a feeling! What a feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we got John Candy. He's not in the movie, but he's in the music video. Uh, we've got Melissa Gilbert from Little House on the Prairie. Yes. <laughs> That's very random. 
Uh, we have Ollie E. Brown, who I did not recognize, but I, I Googled him, and apparently he was a drummer and a session musician, and he produced the Ghostbusters single. So that's why he's in there. Okay, that makes sense. So, um, Jeffrey Tambor. <laughs> that's that's random. That's weird. How did Jeffrey Tambor get into this video? I, I don't, what was the connection? The Ivan's buddy? Like, what, why is he here? I don't know. George Wendt from Cheers. Norm from Cheers. Um, Al Franken, who's apparently imitating yeah. Mick Jagger. Well, I, oh. assume some, I assume some of that was SNL connection. I mean, they're obviously the SNL connection, yeah. Danny DeVito. Okay, yeah, I, I understand that. Carly Simon. That's a little weird. Yes. Um, Peter Falk. Columbo is in Columbo, that, right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> right at the very end. We just have a sudden Columbo. Did did somebody on the crew murder somebody? Excuse me, <laughs> Mr. Ghost, I have a question. <laughs> Oh, and then at the very end, Terry Gar pops. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess she knew Bill Murray from Tootsie. Maybe that's how that happened. I don't know. Oh, yeah, and maybe. We also have all four of the Ghostbusters dancing behind Ray Parker Jr. in Times Square. Oh, yeah, doing that little point and, uh, point and kick. Yeah. That's the best part of the video. That's awesome. And, like, did they did they shoot this at the same time they were shooting the movie or, or did they do this months later and get all the guys back into their Ghostbusters? Team? I bet it was months later. Because it looks like their hair is growing out a little bit. Yeah. Ackroyd's hair looked a little longer to me. I mm. think it, I think it was, I think it was probably after the fact. There's no way they could have coordinated that. Yeah. And Bill, and Bill Murray and Ackroyd get close-ups, but uh, Harold Ramis and, and uh, Ernie Hudson, and Ernie Ernie Hudson, Hudson they're, they're shit out of luck. Yeah, I know. I think it makes the hierarchy of Ghostbusters very clear. I think. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, guys, watch the video if you haven't seen it in a while. It's still, it still tickles my nostalgic uh, fancy. Yeah, and we don't get I mean, theme songs anymore like that. Yeah. No, I mean it's that was like the thing you had like this. You had you had Holiday Road and the Vacation movies. Yeah. You had, uh, uh, the Goonies song. The, yeah, Cindy uh, Lauper had a Goonies song. Uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, Back to the Future had one, and of course, Spies Like Us. Yeah, Caddyshack. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean that that would be the thing. You have a big comedy movie. You have a nice catchy theme song, and you play it in the closing credits to get everybody's toes a tapping. But yep, not anymore. No not movies anymore. really have theme songs anymore. I guess they don't want to waste the time on the it. most recent to... movie, big movie that I can remember having a song where it was like, oh, that's the theme song was Terminator 2, Guns N' Roses, You Could Be Mine. And mm. that had a video that was tied to the movie. Right. It was played in the movie. And I can't think of after that. Well, I, the Celine Dion Titanic song, that was pretty big. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. But beyond that, I feel like there have to be some that we're forgetting. But... Uh... Yeah, that 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 doesn't seem to be a big thing anymore, and it's it's weird because it's like another area of merchandising. Because if the song's a hit, it promotes the movie, and vice versa. I read you that know. the that this that song added twenty million dollars to the take of Ghostbusters. Wow, really? Yeah, that's. I remember, moment. like that song got so big that Ray Parker Jr. guest starred on a sitcom. He guest starred on Give Me a Break. <laughs> 
Do you do you guys remember that show with Give Me a Break with Nell Carter? Yeah, of yeah, course. I remember Give Me a Break. I don't remember him being on it. I I I remember this episode like if, you know that they, they had some contrivance to have because he's playing himself. He's playing Ray Parker Jr. on the show, and the the girls in the family they're all freaked out. And at one point, like somebody goes to the phone and he says, who are you going to call? And the girls just both go, Ghostbusters! Oh my and that's God. literally the only thing I remember about the episode. <laughs> I have no idea if it's on YouTube or whatever. But... Oh, the 80s. And, and uh, I mean, is it fair to say that this is this is my favorite Ray Parker Jr. song? Is it yours? Because, uh, I mean, he has so many hits to choose from. Yeah, there's uh, that other song and... Uh, what's his, what's his... <laughs> The other it's one, definitely my favorite Ray Parker Jr. song. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're so we're all agreed it's the best Ray Parker Jr. song, right? Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah, I think his if you go and buy his greatest hits album, it's just this song like five <laughs> times or nine times on a row. loop. Yes, yeah. it's very, you know, just remixes of this song, yeah. uh, instrumentals, acapella. But uh, yeah, the. It's a it's a fun song. It's a fun video, even with the rapey vibes and the budget of like a buck ninety eight. You didn't like the neon telephone? That didn't do it for you. I did like the neon telephone just because it's so nineteen eighty. Yeah, this whole video is so nineteen eighty. It just the video just screams nineteen eighty. The fact that they just superimposed Ray Parker Jr. over scenes in the movie where physically he didn't even fit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, the music videos that like tie in with big blockbuster movies, they always edit in clips of the movie because it gives you a higher production value. And... Yeah. Oh, you know what? I remembered another one. The uh, the Godzilla 2000 and whatever. Oh, that... the Wallflowers. They did the... Ba- the Wallflowers Bowie. and P. Diddy. P. Diddy had a song. Oh, I don't remember. The oh, is that when he redid the Led Zeppelin? Yes. Nightmare? Yes. Oh, yes. geez. And, and, and that video has... Godzilla in it. He's like in a broken building and Godzilla's walking around. Oh god. Like, come it's with as me. Terrible as it sounds. The whole thing is terrible. I remember each one of the Batman movies, like the the Tim Burton Joel Schumacher Batman movies. They had like a, you know, that you had Seal Kiss from a Rose. You had the Prince, uh, you had Prince. You had Prince doing the soundtrack of the first movie. I'm still scratching my head over that one. Um and you uh, too had a song for yeah. the, the last one. Uh, hold me, yeah. throw me, kiss me, kill me, uh, something like that. I'm probably getting the order wrong, but yeah. And there, there was like an animated thing with Bono as a Joker type. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. Yeah, Prince <laughs> Prince dressed half as Batman, half as Joker. <laughs> that video is bizarre. <laughs> Vicky Vale, Vicky, Vicky Vale. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I want to bust that body. <laughs> Jesus. I would like to be a fly on Kim Basinger's wall when she first heard the Bat Dance song and she gets to that lyric of, I want to bust that body. Just, damn. I don't know if she was dating Prince or, or what, or if it was just Prince is just like, yeah, I'm going to just talk about how I want to fuck Kim Basinger yeah, in the middle I'm, of my song. I'm Prince. What are you going to do? I'm Prince. I'm a sexy, sexy man. I can pull this off. Yeah, baby. I'm the sexiest man under five five. <laughs> yeah, the bad dance video is is seriously weird. That's that's a weird one. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, and uh, I guess that's the episode, guys. I mean, 
Ghostbusters would be my. It just still hold like I said before, hold a special place in my heart. Warms my warms yeah. my soul, my body. I mean, I mean, I I can't say enough good things about this film. Yeah, I it's, I think about it every day when I talk to my dogs. So, oh, that's nice. You ask them if you if they're a god. Yes, well, they are. <laughs> they, the way we treat them in this house, they right. are. No and problem. they bark and they say yes. 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 Someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. That's a great line. That's yeah. another great line. I mean, there's so many great lines yeah. in this movie. And is and for the flat top, oh, Ghostbusters works like gangbusters. I say that's my little poke. Oh wow, nice. Cross the streams. Oh, oh by by the way, uh, so a little bit of trivia we didn't mention. They nearly didn't get the name Ghostbusters for this movie. Oh, uh, we could do a whole another episode on this because there there was a filmation show, a live action Saturday morning show called The Ghostbusters, and that was why the cartoon ended up being called The Real Ghostbusters because filmation had the television rights. Well, there so there was a live action show called Ghostbusters yeah. that featured the two guys, a gorilla and a flying car. Which right. just explaining that sounds like an acid trip. <laughs> and, and and then once Ghostbusters, the once Ghostbusters nineteen eighty four movie came out, they took that TV show because they wanted to capitalize on the name, and they made a right. cartoon based off of the tight TV show and just called it Ghostbusters. Right. And it was again about these two guys, a gorilla and a flying car, who drove around stopping ghosts. And it was terrible, but they just wanted, they were just going to capitalize on the name of the, the success of the movie. And yeah. then when they decided to make the cartoon off of the movie, they had to go with the real Ghostbusters because they, right. they optioned the rights to Ghostbusters for the movie, but they weren't able to get it for the cartoon. Right. And it was, it was like touch and go licensing the name for the movie. Like, yeah, it was up to like the last week or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it would have, I mean, and it's not like today where you could just go in digitally and uh, change it wherever it's, it says the word Ghostbusters on screen and redub everything. They would have had to reshoot a lot of stuff. It was going to be Ghost Bashers or something? Ghost Breakers. Yeah. Ghost Breakers. Ghost Breakers. Jeez. And I think there were a few other things they considered. But thankfully, yeah, on the uh, the the movies that made this episode about Ghostbusters, that they have one of the guys, like one of the producers, when they were shooting the, the end sequence of the movie where everybody in the crowd is chanting Ghostbusters, like one of the guys got on the phone with the studio and he was like, listen to this, listen to 300 people chanting the word The whole city is cheering you, for them. You have to clear this name. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like the scene in Back to the Future where he's like, Marvin, Marvin Barry? <laughs> what you're looking for? <laughs> well, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. that's another movie I could just quote. Just for, oh yeah, for Easily. Easily. oh yeah. I mean those, you know, those movies that you saw at the right age, you saw them uh, at that impressionable age. You just carry them with yeah. you for the rest of your life. I, I am your density. I mean destiny. Yeah. Oh man. Well, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for being an amazing uh, guest on this podcast. Thank you for this having me to talk about this. This I I could talk about this all day. I really oh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Yes. yes. This was so much fun. This was, I mean, as soon as we knew we were going to do Ghostbusters, I was like, we, we, we got to get Kevin. He's the yeah. biggest Ghostbusters fan. I yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if we, if we do an episode about the sequel or whatever else, we'll, we'll have you back. Bring it back. Done. Okay. You want, you want to talk about Ghostbusters too? Let's we'll I'll, bring it back. I'll, I'll, I'd love to. All right. All right. All right. It's a date. Um, so uh, Kevin, where can people find you 
uh, on the internet? Can they, is there a Twitter account they can follow? Sure. For you? you can find, go to my website, kevinisrael.com. I have my comedy um, schedule up there and you can get all my website handles and, or my, my social media handles on Twitter and whatnot. And then you can also listen to Gutting the Sacred Cow podcast. We have new episodes every week. Right now we have JFK up. Um, every week we have a guest come on and argue his case for why a beloved or successful movie is actually overrated. It's a really unique take on the pod, on the movie review podcast. That's a lot of fun. And it, it's really pissed a lot of people off, which is exactly what we were looking to do. <laughs> so Kevin Goatee and I are on uh, guttingsacredcow.com. And yeah, I have an album out called The Struggle Is Real. You can get on iTunes and everywhere else you get your sound stuff. All right. All right. Yeah. So, you know, on this podcast, we, we built up Ghostbusters. If you want to hear Kevin tear down a movie, go listen to uh, Gutting the Sacred Cow. Exactly. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, guys, that's our episode. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you could follow us on Twitter at SNL Nerds Show. You can uh, always check out the podcast at uh, Nonproductive Network, non-productive.com. We got a Patreon up. Give us money to our Patreon and uh, help us, you know, make this thing flourish and grow and and all that good stuff. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. And you can follow me on Twitter at Trumbull Comic. That's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L and the word comic. So, and uh, next week we're back with, uh, SNL is back with another live episode where they're going to have uh, Kieran Culkin hosting. Have they uh, announced who the replacement musical guest is going to be? They have not. And uh, they're... The planet, they're they're, get, they're getting close to the wire here because I mean, I mean, it was supposed like for those that don't know, it was supposed to be uh, Ed Sheeran was supposed to be the musical right. guest, but um, literally maybe five minutes after we recorded the last SNL Nerds episode, it came out yeah. that he that he had COVID and he was like yeah. you know he was uh, quarantining. So now there's yeah, school- I actually taped an intro for the last episode uh, talking about that. So uh, I heard the baby doesn't have much to do. Maybe they can get him. Mm. Uh, yeah, who knows? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> who knows? Maybe maybe they should call in Ray Parker Jr. He's still around. There right? you go. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> you could do the Ghostbusters theme song twice. I would actually tune in for that. I w- yes. absolutely would. I would 100% tune in for that. But, you know, I hope I'm sure they've got somebody by this point and you know, maybe we'll find out when they record their promo. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fun little adventure. It'll be here in Tolkien and somewhere. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> TBD. They're good. <laughs> oh, they're very good. They're the next BTS. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so join us next week and we'll all find out who the musical guest is together. Uh, so, until then, nerd out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.